Today, if you will, turn in your copy of God's Word to Matthew chapter 18. I'm still continuing in this series looking at a different spirit. Um, started this back on Friend Day and <clears throat> the Lord just led me to uh, preach about some characteristics that we who have received a different spirit, the Holy Spirit, we should have these characteristics about ourselves as we uh, step into this new walk with Christ, as we become uh, more disciplined disciples of Christ, these characteristics, these aspects should be known of us. It should be very clear to us and to others that these characteristics define us. In our scripture today from Matthew chapter 18, looking at verses 10 through 14, this is very much speaking about Christ but I want you to understand, what are we called? We are called Christians. So it either means Christ-like or little Christs is what it means. So we should be, in characteristic, following after what Christ modeled for us. We're not out to make a name for us. We're not out for people to model us. We're about to make the name of Jesus great and for people to model Jesus. So we model the characteristics that Christ modeled while he was on this earth. When in week one, when we first looked at a different spirit, the three uh, characteristics of a different spirit I named was that of a converted spirit, that of a dependent spirit, because Jesus said we should become like little children, and we know how dependent they are. And then he talks about how we should humbly receive a little child. We should have a humble spirit. Last week, we looked at three aspects as well. This week, we're going to look at four. But last week, we looked at three more characteristics or aspects of that different spirit that should be of us. And that is that of a receptive spirit. So that whoever may come, we should be willing to receive them. We should be able to receive them. We should have a protecting spirit or a protective spirit. About us, we should be willing, we should protect these little ones, those that are young in the faith. As Jesus walks the disciples through this, he's bringing them from specifically from a little child to those that are young in the faith. And he's saying that we should have a protective spirit, even to the point of having a sacrificial, a sacrificing spirit among us. Us ourselves, we should be willing to sacrifice. The Bible tells us that we should have a, a new spirit. One that is uh, uh, our bodies, giving our bodies over as a living sacrifice unto God. So that means there's things that sometimes we've just got to cut out for our personal holiness. Sometimes there's things we need to choose not to do for the church's corporate holiness. And we've got to make those choices. They're hard choices, but when you got the different spirit about you, you say, I'm willing to do it. Because you know, through the Holy Spirit, we are joining together in the work of the kingdom so God's glory may be made manifest, so that God's church, His bride, may be edified, encouraged, lifted up, and so that the lost world may be evangelized, so they may come to faith in Jesus Christ. These characteristics of the different spirits should be in us, among us, and seen in us from others, from the outside. We can't just be people who proclaim, I've got this spirit, but yet there's no evidence of it. It needs to be evidenced in our lives. So as we look at this today, we can see what Christ is talking about. So let's look into verse 10. 
Let's look into verse 10. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would ask you to stand with me. There's just a few verses. If you can't stand, that is okay. But if you can and you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Holy Word. Matthew chapter 10, excuse me, Matthew chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. The scripture reads like this, Jesus spoke and said, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, He rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So the first spirit that I believe this scripture lays out before us is that of a cherishing spirit. We should have a spirit about us that cherishes people. That cherishes these little ones. The first scripture that we look at here is verse 10. Jesus says to the disciples. Remember I've talked to you multiple times. And we must understand that the Lord speaks directly to the disciples. Almost in every time he's speaking. Rarely does he speak to a group of people apart from the disciples. But he speaks to the disciples. And he tells them this. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. I'm going to pause right there for just a minute. So when we think about this, have you ever, have you ever found yourself in a self-righteous, haughty spirit? I have. I've found myself in that place before. And, and the Lord has convicted me of it. There's times when he's convicted me and I've done nothing about it. There's times he's convicted me and I have done things about it. I've had to go ask for forgiveness. I've had to go speak to individuals before because I found myself in a self-righteous, haughty spirit. And that's when that's, you notice he's talking to the disciples, right? So if, if someone's young, a new believer, those disciples have been walking with Jesus, who would be the most susceptible to a self-righteous, haughty spirit? It would be those who had been walking with the Lord. Oh, look where we are. Look how far we've come. Look at where I am. Oh, you're young in the faith. It's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be. So we need to be praying and asking God, give us this different spirit. Remember, what, is the, what was the question that spurred this whole portion of this chapter, possibly even the entire chapter of chapter 18? It was the question, who then is the greatest in the kingdom? The disciples are wanting to know, how do we get to be great? How do we get to be great? And God's still trying to bring them down from their lofty aspirations. And he's trying to tell them, look, you got to chill out. I know he didn't use that language in, in New Testament times. But he said, you got to calm down. You got to, you got to chill out a little bit now. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. Have, er, have you ever found yourself feeling like you're being despised? I've, I've been there before, too. I've been there before. Those self-righteous folks that think they know everything. Oh, I know the whole Bible. Good for you. I'm glad you do. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> I'm glad you know the Bible. Have you met the author of it? Your spirit might tell me a different story. 
We, we've got to be careful. We got to have a cherishing spirit. I found myself being despised. I want to tell you what that word despise means. It means to scorn or loathe. And many of us have been scorned before in our lives. And scorn means to disdain or to have contempt for. We, we, we don't need to be people that despise others. If they're young in the faith, be gracious. Be gracious. Be considerate. Be thoughtful. That's what Christ was to his people. He modeled it first. He modeled it first. And from his modeling example, we follow in step. At least we should. We should have a cherishing spirit. We should cherish these children. And Jesus, he gives us a warning against despising and gives us an understanding to cherish. We should not despise the immature. Uh, we should not despise them, the immature, or be indifferent to the spiritual needs of any believer. So we, we should never let ourselves be indifferent or contemptuous to another believer. We don't know where they are in their walk. Your age does not define your spiritual maturity. There's plenty of people. I tell this story many a times. I tell this story about how when I was young, I sat on about the third row at our church. Now, we only had two rows all the way across. We had a split in the middle. And I sat on about the third or fourth row, about three seats in. That's where I sat just about my whole life. Maybe the second row now that I think about it. But we had the amen or the, the women's corner over here behind the piano. We had two pews over here. Y'all remember churches like that? We had two pews over here. And Brother Dink Ganaway was a 90-year-old man, as long as I could remember, had sat over there. Brother Dink did. And one Sunday he got up and came to the altar and gave his life to Christ. As a 90-year-old man, it blew my mind. I said, he's been in the amen corner my whole life. What in the world's going on? Listen, salvation is not bound to an age. And maturity in the faith is not either. There's people that are young in faith that are more mature than people that are older. There's people that are obviously older in age that are more mature than those that are younger. We don't need to despise people. That's not what God's called us to. God's called us to cherish, to cherish them. And we see how Christ cherished children while he was on the earth. And I believe in as much as how he cherished, I'm talking about little children. We look around our sanctuary, thank the good Lord. We've got children in here with us today. And, and we see how Christ cherished children. He cherishes us the same way in our young faith. He cherishes us. He says, oh, I'm, I, you know, I understand you failed in this area. You chose to, to sin in this area. That's okay. I'm full of grace. Just come forward. If you'll confess that sin to me, you know what? I'm faithful and just to forgive you of that sin and to cleanse you from all that unrighteousness. All you've got to do, all you've got to do is come. Come before me. Like a good father, he'll forgive. Now, can there be consequences from that sin? Of course there can be. But forgiveness is is Christ to give. Consequences is what we reap on this earth from those sins. But we should cherish children just as Christ did. We see in Psalm 127, 3 through 5. The scripture tells us there in Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. I feel like the Lord feels the same way in the house of the Lord. 
God is always desiring young believers to be in the church of Christ. He wants young believers. He wants young people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's okay if they don't know how to behave. It's okay. But it doesn't mean it's okay to live in that immaturity forever. But it's okay if they're young and immature for a while. God always wants the church replenishing, right? That's His desire. The Noahic covenant. So much of it uh, stems off of procreation. God wants us to, if you will, spiritually procreate. Have more children in the faith. Share the faith. Make the faith known. Make Christ known. Share the good news of Jesus Christ. May we have a quiver full of immature young believers in this church. Because if we don't, then we're having an issue. Man, the Lord's blessed us in the past two years. I think we've had seven or eight salvations and baptisms. We're, we're, man, the Lord's blessing us. I'd love to see twice as many in the next two years or even more. You know, I don't want to limit the Lord. but I want, I want to see God filling that quiver full of young believers and say, this is a heritage unto the Lord. Scripture tells us in Matthew 19, 14, if you're still open to Matthew 18 in your Bible, just across the way in my Bible, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. The Lord saw these little children and he said, Let them come to me, for they're like the kingdom of heaven. I think Jesus is still thinking on what's in Matthew 18. We don't divorce the text. It's still happening. He's still talking about these little children. See, Jesus said fathers and mothers should cherish their children. And Jesus modeled how to cherish children and not despise them for us to do the same. So what this passage is saying is, is that a young believer is not directly a young person. A young believer is not directly a young person. John MacArthur, he referenced verse 3 in this same chapter and verse 6 as clear understanding how Jesus is now directly speaking to the young believer and not so much the little child that was before them. Jesus was still using the childlike characteristics to draw their minds to their own weaknesses and dependency. A second thing that this passage is saying is that there is a protector of the young in the presence of the father. Look in the second half there of verse 10. Jesus said, For I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. So that their angels always behold the face of God reflects the view that God, that each person has his heavenly counterpart or angelic representative in heaven. Jesus' concern is to say that children are important to God, so they must be important to us. These young believers have their angels before the face of God continually. We need to understand the value of that and the importance of that. Scripture speaks of angelic care for individual persons such as Jacob. Individual churches, we see that in Revelation. And nations, we see that. Jewish literature has a consistent emphasis on angels as guardians of individual persons. And I want you to understand, many commentaries as I read, it's not clear whether or not Jesus' statement implies guardian angels, per se. Ones that are with every single person every single day. Who uh, watch over the individual uh, believers on an ongoing basis. But it does confirm 
that, uh, that our Heavenly Father uses angels to care for childlike disciples. It is absolutely clear that He uses angels to watch over those childlike disciples. So from that text, we need to have a cherishing spirit. Not a spirit that despises those that are young in the faith, but one that cherishes them. They'll come along. If we're doing the job that we're called to do in mentoring and maturing and discipling and all that, they'll come along. It's not all on us. It is on the individual who has professed faith too. But it is part of us as well. I spoke on that last week. The second point that I'd like to make is how we are to have a missional spirit. A missional spirit. Look there in verse uh, 10, verse 11. Jesus said, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Jesus gives the purpose and the mission as to why He came to earth. He came to seek that which was lost. And we too, because He modeled it, He left His throne of glory where everybody, all the angels were worshiping Him. He left His throne of glory. Scripture tells us He became poor for our sakes. He lived a life with no home. He said the Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He became poor for our sakes, and he walked this earth, and he modeled to us what it meant to be on mission for the Father. He modeled what it meant to be on mission for the Father. We see the mission was to turn the hearts back to God. In Acts 26, 17 through 18, we have Paul telling his testimony uh, to his calling by the Lord. And he gives us this message of mission for him. The Lord gave Paul this message there in Acts 26, 17, 18. He says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people. Remember, Paul was still scared of them. Because they wanted to kill him because he'd be killing them. He was scared. The Lord says, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. What was the first, what was the first thing that we saw over there in uh, 18 verse 2? He said, unless you are converted, King James says, unless you turn, unless you turn, so Paul's message is this, his mission is this, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. God gave to Paul the mission to the Gentiles that Jesus initially expressed to the Jews. Jesus gave this same mission to the disciples, the mission to the disciples, when the Jewish people refused them. If you remember right, when Jesus first sent the disciples out, he sent them out to the Jews. When they came back, he said, none of them received. He said, well, shake off the dust and go out and share it with anybody else. He said, go into the highways and the byways. He used the parable of the wedding. And he said, I went out first and invited these guys. And they had all these excuses. And they wouldn't come. So go out into the highways and the byways. It could compel everybody to come on in. We should have a missional spirit about us. It doesn't matter who you bump into, where you bump into them at. Jesus should be in your heart, coming from your lips with a mission of Jesus saves Come be a part of the church. 
That should be our mission. That was Jesus' mission. When we consider the mission, we cannot forsake the mission Jesus left to the disciples and ultimately to us in Matthew 28, 18 through, 18 through 20, when he said, Go therefore, first off he says in 18, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. God wants us to be mission-spirited people. Just as Jesus is, we are to be. And we need to have that spirit about us. We need to have a compassionate spirit. We need to have a compassionate spirit. Look there in verse 12. Jesus says, what do you think? When Jesus says, he tells them what his mission was. And then Jesus says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 to go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? That is a compassionate spirit. Show compassion on that young believer. That has strayed. Remember we're still talking about those little ones. He's not talking about those that have claimed. And made this statement that I'm a believer. They say they've walked with the Lord forever. And all this kind of stuff. Listen I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray for them. And reach out to them and everything else. But specifically here in context. We're still talking about that young believer. That really hasn't matured enough to understand the true goodness of God. Don't divorce one scripture from the context. That's eisegesis, as we learn in seminary. You want to do exegesis, where you pull from the whole context so you can understand what the Lord is saying in that message. He's talking to the immature believer, that young sheep, that young one that, that trots away because they haven't learned yet that the, that the rod and the staff, he'll comfort you. He'll walk through with you with the valley of the shadow of death. I don't have to fear no evil, for the Lord is with me. That mature sheep that's been in that flock for a while, he knows. I don't need to be straight. Although he might get a little bit out of the pack, he ain't going too far. But that little one that hasn't learned yet. So he goes out after him. It's a compassionate spirit. So let me ask you this. What does compassion look like to you? What does compassion look like to you? Well, I looked up the word compassion because it's kind of where I was. So I thought it might be important for you to know. Well, compassion means to show pity. Compassion means to show pity. When we see these young Christians, we must view them in pity. They may even be pitiful. <laughs> A lot of people don't like to be called pitiful, do they? But we are. We are. When we are young in the faith, we are pitiful. When I think about uh, things that are pitiful, I think about babies. Babies are pitiful. Now you may say, by the way, we define them today. We don't like to use that word about babies. Babies aren't pitiful. What are you talking about? Yes, they are. It means to show compassion. It means to show pity. Compassion does. They're pitiful. I mean, you think about a baby. You think about newborns, crawlers, toddlers, especially newborns are pitiful. Not in the sense that we know it now, but they need so much attention and care, right? We've got to show them pity. They need their heads cradled. You think about that. When you scoop up a baby, you better hold that baby, baby's head. Got to cradle it because it's next week, you know, a little bitty baby, newborn baby. You've got to hold it tight. Those little babies want to be snuggled up. They want to feel that heartbeat. They want to be snuggled tight, you know. Because they're pitiful. Not, and we think, oh, that's such a terrible word. But they are. And we show compassion to those, 
to those little bitty babies. We show that compassion. And they need milk so they may be able to ingest and digest simply so they may begin to grow and mature. And this is similar to that of the new Christian. New Christians must be on the milk of the word. You can't just start diving off into, into these big theological statements and, and confusing things. Romans a big, big book. New believers should take it easy. Don't jump into Romans. Don't jump into Revelation, okay? Take it easy. Everybody wants to know, I don't know about the end times. Well, pump the brakes there, new believer. <laughs> First, you need to know about how to live in these times. Go to James. Go to John. Go to something that's practical and easy. Get on the milk of the word. Now, don't get me wrong. James will punch you in the mouth real quick. But you need to get on that milk of the word. Go to Genesis. Figure out, figure out uh, read about how God created everything. You've got to start on the milk of the word before you start jumping into the meat of the word, such as a Romans or a Revelation or things of that nature. Hebrews speaks to how it could, should be done, you know, bringing them from the milk to the, to the meat. Although the author says these believers here in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. And you know recently we've been, I've been preaching through Hebrews. So we've been talking about that a little bit. You know Hebrews is deep. It's like trudging through, through a swamp or through mud. Because there's so much teaching along with the preaching. That's another reason why I felt like the Lord was leading me to preach through this. It's a little bit easier to ingest and digest than that Hebrews. But we're going to come back to it in October. So don't, don't lose your place in Hebrews, okay? We're going to come back to it. But I just felt like the Lord wanted me to preach on this for right now. So we take this in, and, and the author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. He said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Notice my illustration before. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, just talking about spiritually, that is, who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He's talking about some of you should be teachers. Some of you in this room should be teachers. But you're not. Still on the milk of the word. We need to be maturing. We need to be growing in the Word of God. We've got to be reading the Word of God for our own consumption, for our own betterment, for our own health. You know, we don't eat food. I mean, some people eat food just because it tastes good. I can eat all day long. I'm telling you, I don't know. Man, I can eat all day long. It don't matter what it is. But I need to eat for health reasons, right? I need to eat because it's healthy. I need to eat because it's good for me. It builds me up. We don't need to just eat because this is just good alone. We need to eat because we need to eat because it's healthy. You start out on the milk because it's healthy and it's good for you. It's what you can ingest and digest. And then you progress and you progress and then you start taking of it as meat. And you start diving in and you might want to get you a commentary Bible. Or you might want to get you an assistance to help you understand some of these big words or big thoughts that some of these guys are laying out there. And you're beginning to mature. But so many are still on the milk. We've got to move forward. We've got to move forward. Now, the author of Hebrews was not exercising compassion because these were people who should have been doing, who should have been much farther along. He wasn't showing compassion. He was showing discipline. And it's accountability. 
And in a church like us, there should be accountability. We should be further along than this. Do we have some young believers? Absolutely. So we have compassion. And for those that are further along, we should have accountability. But even in both of those, we should still have a cherishing spirit. We should have a missional spirit. We should have those things. We need to continue on as we look through this. The growth of the new believer does not fall solely on the church, nor does it fall solely on the new believer. It is a cooperative effort as long as both are cooperative. That's important, as long as both are cooperative. I used to tell parents of my students, I'd say, I'll be their student pastor as long as they'll let me be. I'll be their student pastor as long as they'll let me be. When they quit allowing me to speak into their lives and hold them accountable to the faith they claim they have, it's going to be really hard for me to be their youth pastor. It's going to be really hard for me to be your pastor if you claim to know Christ and if I ask you a question or I challenge you or, or whatever. Listen, you'll let me be your pastor as long as you'll let me be. But when you start putting up walls and you start saying, no, that's too far, I'm not your pastor anymore. We, we've got to... As believers in the church, be accountable about what we say. If you say you're a believer, live to it. Live to it. And it is pitiful when I would see students that I wished more for them in Christ. But nothing was allowed to be planted, watered, or fruitful due to a lack of personal disconnect. They wouldn't come to our gatherings. They wouldn't come to our small groups. They wouldn't come to Sunday school or discipleship training because we had those back then. They wouldn't come to the events. They wouldn't come to the camps. They wouldn't come to the things. And then they'd say, well, Brother Blake don't care about me. I reached out multiple times. I reach out. I text. I call. No response. Listen, who is that on? Me? No. There is a personal responsibility of the believer when you're coming off the milk of the word to get on that milk, that meat of the word. And I tell those parents of those students, I will be their student pastor as long as they'll let me be. As long as they'll let me be. But when they're young in the faith, I'm talking about a compassionate spirit now. Listen, I understood when some students were young in their faith and I'd say, okay, well, let's, let's walk along. Let's learn. Let's, let's grow. We've got to have that compassionate Spirit. And as I've said before, many times it's the same way with new believers. The church can have Sunday school. They can have D groups, women's and men's ministries. We can offer discipleship classes. We can offer new Sunday school classes. We can do all that we can try to do. But if you don't want to grow, and if you don't want to be a part, what else can we do? What else can we do? Listen, it's maturity. And many times the pitiful believer will chase after the first thing that catches their eye because their eyes are not on Christ. Many times the pitiful believer will think there is something over there that they are not getting over here and find themselves wandering alone. Many times the pitiful believer will begin looking inward to their issues and feelings instead of looking upward and outward to their Lord and their faith family. Many times that happens. And in those situations, our compassionate spirit must prevail over the temptation to despise them when they're young believers. Remember, he's still talking about young believers. Not in age alone, but I'm talking about spiritually young. 
we should have compassion for them and show pity. That's the reason why it's, it's important that we, we gauge, we, we look after these, and we don't ask them to become Sunday school teachers too quick. We don't ask them to become deacons too quick. We don't ask them to become any other type of leadership too quick if they're new believers because we want to see them mature, and we, we want to show compassion on people. Because you can't put unex, uh, over, overhyped expectations on people who, who have never experienced it or not have matured yet from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. We must be compassionate people. Lastly, we must be joyful. We must have a joyful spirit. Verses 13 and 14 in conclusion here. In verse 13 and 14. And if he should find it. Now listen, when I read that, I'm going to go back to a point I've got here on the first page. And if he should find it, talking about the shepherd. In verse 13, it introduces a third class condition, which allows for the possibility that if the shepherd will not find the sheep, human freedom permits some people to hide from God, and he will not force them to return against their will. So in this, we must conclude that they were not a part of the fold in the first place. They were not a part of the fold in the first place. Read that verse again, verse 13. And if he should, and if he should find it, if. Assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your, of your father who is in heaven. That one of these little ones should perish. It's not his desire. He's going to go out seeking that lost sheep. That young, young sheep. That newborn sheep. He's going to go out looking for it. And we should be right on the coattails of our Savior. Looking for those young believers. That maybe they, they haven't matured yet. And they need more help. They need more discipleship. They need more compassion. They need to be cherished. They need to be welcomed, protected, and sacrificed for. We have got to have that different spirit. And he goes out, Jesus pointing out that he is ultimately the good shepherd who brings back the straying sheep. So we too have the Holy Spirit living in us. So when we see that straying, pitiful believer come home, we should be joyful and celebrate. We should be joyful and celebrate too often in the history of the church. When the pitiful are found in return, there's more complaining over their return than there is celebration. There's more complaining. Oh, look what I did. So what? Look what you did before Christ. Look what you may have done after Christ. Be rejoicing in the Lord. If not, we'll find ourselves so much like the older brother in the prodigal son story. When the prodigal son went away, he did all the stuff. He ruined his father's name or so he thought he had. And he went out and he did everything and he just basically ruined himself. And he went out and the father day by day looked for that son. And when he finally come home, the dad said, the son was thinking the dad's going to hire me as a slave, as a servant. And the dad said, put a ring on him, put a robe on him. My son has come home. And the, product, the older son says, what about me? I've been here the whole time. You ain't never done this for me. Listen, church. Let's not be found as the older brother. Let's not be found as the older brother. 
We need to have the spirit of the father, not the spirit of the older brother. That's the spirit God's called us to have. We should have a joyful spirit, and our spirit should not be one of casting out, but willing to call in. Willing to call in. So in conclusion, these three points I want us to hold to in, in, as we conclude this sermon. God takes the initiative to go to great lengths to bring back to himself those who are estranged from him. He will go to great lengths. Reclaiming those estranged should lead to joyous celebration. Too many times, we, 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 and obviously we've gotten this, this moniker, this reputation, because it's true. We don't celebrate well enough in the church, do we? I mean, like you would think, you'd think, where, where in the world is, where is the joy? Where is the joy of your salvation? Where is the joy of the salvation of those when you see salvation comes to those that were lost or straying? Where is our celebrative spirit? Where is our joyful spirit? Man, we've been saved by the grace of God. God didn't have to save us. He didn't have to come to earth. He didn't have to die. He didn't have to do anything. We could have just went on our unmarry, sinful, wide path, destructive way and went all the way straight to hell. And God could have been like, you know what? You chose it for yourself. I did what I did. I loved you. But you know what? You chose your own way. But he didn't. And in his grace and in his mercy, he came down. He lived a life without sin, died in our place on the cross, rose again. He's coming again. That should be reason to be joyful. And to see somebody else redeemed by the grace of God, brought back when they're young in their faith and they don't know what they're doing and they might be sliding back into those bad relationships or sliding back into those old addictions or sliding back into this. And, and church, we've got to have a Jesus attitude. We've got to have the characteristics of Jesus to say, listen, I'm not telling you that I'm greater than you. I'm just telling you who is greater than you. That's Jesus. And he loves you with a greater love than I could ever love you. And he don't want you there. He wants you here in the church family. And then when they return, and they may be struggling through some things back and forth, wishy-washy, listen, give them grace. And I'm telling you, I'm not telling you that I am the master and I've got control of this in my life because I'm telling you, it's hard. It's hard. I'm not telling you, church, it's easy. Because we want to say, man, that person made this mistake. And that person, we want to point out, we want to point out the, the sawdust in our brother's eye when we got a big old plank poking out ours and, and we're not taking the time to pull it on out. And we just want to point that out. Listen, we just need to be grateful that God has redeemed them and God has brought them back. But listen, we can't be going, God, you go do it. You know, I'm just going to chill out over here on my favorite pew and my favorite seat. You, you, you go get them. You know what I mean? Go get them, God. You go do it. God says, no, this is the spirit you are to have. You're supposed to have this spirit in you. I, through the Holy Spirit, reside within you. I'm not some external something that just makes you do stuff. I'm indwelling you if you're a believer. So that should cause us to do something different. We should have a different life. So reclaiming those estranged should lead to joyous celebration. And the faithfulness, listen to this, the faithfulness of the majority may never excuse us for ignoring anyone who still remains distant from God. Listen, church, do we have this spirit? Do we have this cherishing spirit? 
Do we have that? Do we have a missional spirit? Do we have this, these characteristics, this joyful spirit? Do we have these? I hope you do. Because it is every single part of the spirit of the Holy Spirit. And it should be present and evident in our lives today. And I pray today that you've got, you're indwelt and you've been saved by the grace of God and you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We've got to have a different spirit about us. We don't need to look like everybody else. We don't need to act like everybody else. We need to act like Jesus.